which of these are you? A certain man from Jerusalem went down to Jericho. He fell among some thieves who beat him and stripped him of his clothes. They left him lying there half dead on one side of the road. He was probably crying out for help, praying someone was close. A priest passed by and saw him and walked away on the other side. Likewise, the Levite did the same as the man cried. A Samaritan on his journey came along and found him there. He bound his wounds with oil and wine and took him to the inn for care. Next day before he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and asked him to take care of him. Whatever more you spend, he said, when I come back, I'll repay thee. So I ask you now, my friend, which was the best man of these three? The reason I sing this song is to make this point on which I stand. If you say that you're a Christian, would you have stopped and helped that man? You see, there's a lot of religious talk and theory that we can do. But look inside and ask yourself, which of these three are you? We can all do so many things that may look to be right, but still exactly be like that priest or that Levite. Which one of these are you, my friend, the priest, the Levite, or the Samaritan? You see, there's a lot of religious talk and theory that we can do, but just look inside and ask yourself, which of these three are you? Have you found Luke chapter 10 yet? Let's pray. Lord, we ask you to speak to us today. Make it real. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to speak today today on the subject, love helps, love hurts, and love heals. Three points, and they are the title. First, love helps. Verse 25, Behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? What is your reading of it? So he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you have answered rightly, do this and you will live. But he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? All right, first point on love helps is Jesus helped this guy with a story. He came to Jesus to test him, maybe to show off his biblical knowledge, but to see if Jesus knew what he was talking about. And Jesus kind of turned the tables on him and asked him, okay, what do you think about eternal life? What do the scriptures say to you? And he quoted the two great commandments. And Jesus said, do this and you'll live. And so wanting to justify himself, knowing he did not love his neighbor as himself, well, who is my neighbor? Uh, you know, many times we'll do this in dodging an issue. We'll try to oversimplify it and overcomplicate it. Uh, when God gave that command, he never meant us to get, never meant for us to guess who our neighbor is. And being the racist that uh, the people in this country were at this time that Christ was there, 
Uh, no doubt there was certain races of people they didn't want to esteem as being neighbors, like the Romans or, in this story, the Samaritans. And uh, so Jesus, in an effort to help them, tells a story, takes time, doesn't say, get away from me, doesn't read his mail and insult him. He just tells him this story, takes time. And I'm glad he took time to tell the story, aren't you? Love helps. So Jesus helped him with his story. Verse 30. Then Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Leaving him half dead. So this guy is in bad shape. The next point, love helps. Life's journey will include our needing help. If we're going to be loving people, we're going to be helping people, aren't we? And uh, it comes back to you. Jesus said, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. We all, at one time or another in life, will need help. And uh, therefore, we want to pay it forward. We reap what we sow. We want to keep that in mind. It could have been me on the side of that road, the priest and the Levite should have thought. But no doubt being self-righteous, bigoted religious fools, they probably thought this guy didn't travel right. He didn't have the right clothing or he must have been showing off his wealth or maybe he was walking at the right time or I'm glad it's not me or I've got to hurry and make it to the temple before I'm late. Life's journey will include our needing help. And so we've got to be aware of that. When we see an opportunity to help someone, it could be us. Keep that in mind. Now, by chance, verse 31, a certain priest came down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. He saw him and just kept right on going. Now, this is interesting. (laughs) Likewise, a Levite, he's the one who helps the priest minister. Uh, When he arrived at the place... He came and looked. He walked over and looked at the guy and then walked away. I mean, that's, that's as cold-blooded, if not more cold-blooded. A third point is religion has no power if it does not help. It's useless. If it doesn't help humanity, what are we doing? Playing church? 1 John 4.20 says, If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, for he who loves God must love his brother also. James 2 says, My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality or prejudice. For if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings and fine apparel, and there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes, And you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say to him, you sit here in a good place. And say to the poor man, you stand there or sit here at my footstool. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? Verse 6, but you have dishonored the poor man. Now, we would never do that. We, you know, we're far too spiritual to do that. But as far as committing a sin against a poor person, 
But you know there's sins of commission, but also sins of omission. Simply not honoring someone's presence because their odor isn't that pleasant. Uh, could be the same thing. Our actions could say, stay away from me. See what I'm saying? Verse 15, uh, James wrote, If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to him, says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled. You know, speaking of blessing. But you do not give them the things which are needed for the body. What does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But if someone will say you have faith and I have works, show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe there is one God you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? My next point, love that is not active is not love. And finally, faith does not work without love. In the scriptures, there is a connection between faith and love. Galatians 5, 6 says, In Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything, but faith working through love. Listen to these verses. I call them the faith and love connection. First uh, Corinthians 13 says, Though I have all faith that I could remove mountains that have not love, I am nothing. Verse 13, Now abide faith, hope, and love, these three, and the greatest of these is love. Ephesians 1.15, Colossians 1.4, 1 Thessalonians 1.3, and Philemon verse 5 basically say the same thing. I've heard of your faith and of your love. Commending them for hearing about two things about them, their faith and their love. Ephesians 3.17 says that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that we being rooted and grounded in love. Uh, one of the greetings in the church, Ephesians 6.23, peace to the brethren and love with faith from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Timothy 1 verse 5 says the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart from a good conscience and from sincere faith, from which some have strayed, having turned aside to idle talk. If we don't have love in our life, our faith is just a bunch of talk. Because love puts that faith to work. Faith works by love. Second Timothy 1.13 says, To hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me, in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. 2 Thessalonians 1.3 ends with these words. Your faith grows exceedingly, and the love of every one of you all abounds toward each other. He's commending them for their spiritual growth. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. That's where spiritual growth is. Faith grows and love grows. Faith is an operation because love is there. All right, back to our text, Um, verse 33. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and he saw him, and he had compassion. He saw him with different eyes. All three men saw him, but only one had compassion. My second point 
is, we'll come back to that, love hurts. We say that, love hurts. Love hurts because it sees. And when it sees, it feels. Love hurts because it sees. It sees more than what the priest and the Levites saw. What they saw was an inconvenience. What they saw was an unfortunate thing that they would add to their prayer list. What they saw was a need that didn't fit their job description. That's not my job. We pay taxes so the police can take care of that kind of thing. Hello? Anybody here? Love hurts because it sees. When you love, you're vulnerable, are you not? It's a scary thing to love. Man, your heart can get stomped on. People can betray you. And so it makes you want to just build up walls. But we can't live that way. I think there may be a season for you to heal. Maybe I call it making room for Jesus to heal your heart up. But step out and risk again. Because if you don't risk loving again, you'll never truly be healed. One friend might betray you, but dozens of friends will heal you. They'll strengthen you. And so this guy was vulnerable. This Samaritan was. He knew what it was like to be down. He was despised in that area where he was traveling. Love hurts because it sees. And love feels and generates compassion. The Greek word for compassion is the word splank, 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 Now, have no fear, you don't have to remember that. But it's a word from which, it's a word that's related to the word from which we get the word spleen. And it literally means to have the bowels yearn. That is, to feel sympathy, to feel pity. To be moved with compassion. To have your stomach in knots over a need. When you're moved with compassion, you have to do something. Who knows that's true? In fact, it hurts more not to do something than it will to do something. It means inner affection, tender mercy, bowels of mercies, I think is what the old King James talks about. In the old English Webster's Dictionary, the word compassion means to suffer with another. It means painful sympathy, a sensation of sorrow, excited by the misfortunes of of another. And it will always lead to a strong desire to relieve someone's pain and to remove the cause, if possible, of the pain. And it's a strong emotion that would hurt more not to do anything. This is compassion. This is a result of seeing with the eyes of love. And so because he had compassion, look at what he did, verse 34. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, taking time out of his day. You know, they only had so much sunlight in a day. They didn't have a car, you know, traveling by animal and and on foot. And so he takes time out of his day to pick this guy up. And to bandage his wounds, to stop the loss of blood and and the risk of infection. He pours on oil and wine, and he sets him on his own animal. Now he's walking, and the wounded guy is riding. And he brought him to an inn and took care of him there. 
could have, you know, made sure he got cleaned up and made sure he had something to eat, a place to lay down and rest. And on the next day when he departed, he took out two denarii, which was a considerable sum of money at that time, and gave them to the innkeeper and said to him, take care of him and whatever you spend, when I come back, I will repay you. Love is a willingness to be hurt in order to help. Because of love, he hurt when he saw this guy. He was moved with compassion. Just like Jesus, when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were like sheep having no shepherd. And so, and so that pain led him to risk more pain by taking care of the guy, taking him to an inn. Who knows that the inn may not have been where he was going, but it got him to the nearest place where he could get help. And then he went through more pain and expense of pain, his, his pain for the man's well-being after he left and then put his name on the line. I mean, he was, he was what you would call exposed, financially exposures going on here. Put his name on the line. If two denarii wasn't enough to take care of him, I'm good for whatever you spend on it. This is love in action. This is love that's willing to be hurt in order to help. I think on the, in the books in some of our states are now good Samaritan laws because if you try to help someone in an accident and you injure them in the process, they could sue you, legal exposure. So people were becoming afraid not to help, and, and that wasn't good either. Um, and so good Samaritan laws are in place if... if if someone needs help and you help them, you can't be sued. I don't know. What's it like in Texas? Are they in place here? Yeah, we, need, we need to check that out. Let me know. Post it. Uh, email it to me um, so we can know these kind of things. Because who knows when we're going to risk being hurt ourselves to help someone be hurt. It's fear of being hurt that can make us selfish. And, you know, the priest had his priestly robes. He didn't want blood on them, you know. The Levite had on his Levite uniform. He didn't want dirt on him and, and mess and, you know. And, of course, he had to be going because who knows if this wounded guy would not have been bait for somebody else to be robbed. I mean, this Samaritan really stuck his neck out there, risked being hurt to help someone that was hurting. Love is a willingness be hurt in order to help. Hurt is risk, it's pain, it's expense, it's effort, it's inconvenience. On your bulletin is this picture. It's also in the lobby. It's my favorite work of art that Kathy Quest has done yet. And I love all the artwork of all the artists in the church. I love all y'all's work. I just love it. But we all must agree this is a masterpiece. It really is. The verse that goes with this is Hebrews 12:2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. All right, now look at this, look at this picture. The joy before him is the gold to the right of the picture. You see that? Gold speaks of joy, speaks of heaven. For the joy set before him, he endured that stuff that we see behind him. The red color symbolizing blood and pain and agony. And so there he is between those two. The agony and the ecstasy. 
He endured the agony for the joy that was set before him. This is love hurts. Because he loved us, he went through hurt to taste the punishment that was ours as our substitute to take our place so that we not have to die for our sins. Isn't that good? You see it? The joy set before him, he endured the cross. We likewise do this in life. Sometimes uh, we delay gratification for a greater good. A mother will go through great pain to bring the joy of a baby into the world, right? No pain, no gain. And so, so it is in helping people, in being willing to be hurt, the joy of seeing this guy fully recovered would, foul up, would, would far outweigh the expense and the risk this Samaritan went through. Why? Because he's a demonstration of, in the story, he's, he's the guy exemplifying love. And so it is, when we love others, it's for the joy set before us. It's no fun picking up a wounded guy and washing his, you know, his bloody wounds and bandaging him and, and uh, using up our precious oil and precious wine. God forbid that we waste any of our wine. <laughs> I don't want to wear the parable to death, but I want to get the life out of it. And this is what I see. This guy, for the joy set before him, he's he's the Jesus in the story. Jesus is Samaritan. I thought he was a Jew. Well, think of it. Samaritans were half Jewish. They were looked down upon as half breeds. Jesus lived under the same cloud. In the back rooms, he was called the bastard, the child of a Roman soldier. And in reality, he was half Jewish. Only his mom was. His dad, not Jewish. His dad's not even a man. (laughs) So, I love this story. Love heals. Moving right on. Jesus asked this question at the end of the story. He said, so which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? Verse 37. And he said, this guy trying to test Jesus said, well, he who showed mercy on him. I don't guess he wanted to say the Samaritan. Well, the merciful guy. God forbid that I should give a Samaritan credit for anything. Then Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. Application being, if you see a Samaritan needing help, you help him. That's loving your neighbor. So here was the question. Who is my neighbor? Jesus tells a story and turns the question around. He changed it to who was a neighbor to the hurting. It's not who is my neighbor. It's it's who can I be a neighbor to? You see that? The real question is, Who is going to be a neighbor? The person that's going to love their neighbor is a person willing to be a neighbor to anyone. Well, he's not my neighbor. Well, you're missing out on a lot. Because Jesus said, go and do likewise. In conclusion, 
In Matthew 5.13, Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. Tell someone, good morning, salty. He said, if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. If salt loses its qualities, it's not salt anymore, really. I don't know what would happen to salt for this to happen, but it's useless. You can't use it for anything. The point is, love heals, and salt has, in its proper application, has medicinal qualities. If you apply it properly, I'm not going to give you, I've got the dosages here of how to do it all, but if you apply it properly, it is good for sore throats, toothaches, post-nasal drip, bee stings, mosquito bites, painful gums, Poison ivy and poison oak are some of the ailments for which salt has been prescribed. You can put it on a wound. It doesn't hurt, but, I mean, it hurts. It doesn't feel good, but it does good if that's all you've got. Modern science doesn't endorse all of the traditional uses of salt, but the article I have here offers a picture of the seemingly, seemingly endless healing qualities salt may have. So the point I'm making here in that love heals is if God is love and we are to represent him, we must become like him, right? So would a definition of us, or could we grow to a point that we would be defined as love? Man, that guy's just true love. She is pure love itself. So permeated with the love of God that he has for us and for others that we reflect him to the world. This is, this, is, this is God's will. It's not that we live by some command to love, but that we literally become love. We're so impacted by its truth. Salt won't do anybody any good unless it is applied Unless salt, if salt were a person, unless salt gave of itself, it wouldn't help anybody. Unless we give of ourselves, it's, it, the truth of this sermon isn't that we're like salt that's in a shaker. We are salt. We are to be love. We are to be help for the hurting. We are to be a source of healing and provision in people's lives. We are to be the representative of Jehovah Rapha, Jehovah Nisi, Jehovah Jireh. We are to be that. We are to become medicine. Giving of ourself. Not just out of our resources, but of ourself. Giving. This, this is God's will for us. One of my favorite songs that Jake Anderson has written is entitled Medicine for Someone Else. On another Sunday, I'm going to have it sing it to you, but I want to read you the lyrics, and then we're going to watch Reuben Stuttered sing it. And it's called Medicine for Someone Else. It was written during a season, a very long season in Shake's life, where the person closest to him in all of his life betrayed him beyond belief. 
he went through death in the hospital for months. When he came out, his career was wrecked because he couldn't sing. And his pastor gave him a chance, and people would come up to him after church and say, you can't sing anymore, or you don't know how to sing, or what are you doing up there? And he said this for selfish reasons. He wrote this song that I, I, think, I think God's able to turn things around. His prayer was, God, get some good out of this. This is not doing me any good. Make me medicine for someone else. Here's the lyrics. Take the trials you've been through. Take the trials you've been through. And all the times life made you blue. Search down deep within yourself and make it medicine for someone else. Share the joys you wish you'd known. Hold on to the tears that you've shed. Bottle them with care as though for someone else. Make it medicine for someone else. Share all the battles, good and bad, the hardest trials you ever had. Take those trophies off that shelf. Make it medicine for someone else. Share all the sorrow that you have gained and all the lessons learned in vain. Take those trophies off that shelf. Make it medicine for someone else. You've got to go on, and it's hard, I know. Sometimes this is the way we see love grow. It's not for you to take it personal because it's not all about yourself. Yes, it's hard to face when you've suffered for someone else. Make it medicine for someone else. Sometimes a hindrance to walking in love, to being loved, to being a, a hindrance to our saltiness is our own hurts, our own challenges we're dealing with. An enemy would distract us with unresolved issues when in reality he's carried you this far, which means you have something that you can use to help somebody else. Job had a lot of problems, didn't he? His healing came as he prayed for his friends. (laughs) Watch this.
his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. And may you be salt and light. You be salt and light everywhere you go in Jesus' name. Jesus said, whoever receives you receives me. So go out and be Jesus. Amen. For Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you.